series. Um, last week was our first week. Uh, we talked about the king of the kingdom. And, by the way, this series is on the kingdom of God. We talked about the king of the kingdom. Uh, we talked about how everybody deep down inside craves authority. Everybody deep down inside craves authority. And everybody wants good role models, good leaders, good influences. But throughout history, all we've ever had are bad leaders. We've had people who have abused their power until Jesus came, until Jesus, the Son of God, came. He was the one history was waiting for, and he became a human being. He was a good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And now he is the king of this new inaugurated kingdom, and he is the center of that kingdom. Um, And now we'll be talking about the people of the kingdom. This is week number two, and next week we'll talk about the mission of the kingdom. Um... We'll be talking about the people of the kingdom. In particular, how does someone enter the kingdom of God? And what characterizes the people in the kingdom? We'll be spending most of our time in two passages. Uh, The first... Oh, nice catch. Wow. That's impressive. I didn't... I missed it, but... That's great. Sorry. (laughs) Um, We'll be spending most of our time in two passages... The first is John 3, uh, chapter, uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And the second is Galatians 5, 16 to 24. The first passage has to do with how we enter the kingdom of God. And the second passage has to do with what people in the kingdom of God are like. Okay, so let's just open up our Bibles uh, or you can follow along on the screen. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, this is close to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's talking to a guy named Nicodemus. So I'll just read, and you can follow along. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So just to give you some context, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And uh, if you're not familiar with Pharisees, they were a group of Jews who were very strict about obeying Jewish law. And, and traditions. And they wanted very much, a lot of them, they wanted very much to know God, to love God, to experience God. Um, but most of the Pharisees, uh, they weren't big fans of Jesus. Jesus was kind of seen as a new kid on the block. Uh, the Pharisees, they had, they were the establishments. They had their, you know, their traditions going for a while. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along. And he's doing all these crazy things. And he's gathering this following. And many people... Uh, I mean, many of the Pharisees, they weren't too happy about that. Um, But Nicodemus, he was one of these Pharisees, but he was genuinely curious. He was, he he didn't, and he didn't want his, you know, his Pharisee cronies to know that he was curious. So he came to Jesus at night, and he had this secret conversation with him. And uh, and essentially he's saying, you know, we see you doing some really cool stuff. And God, I, I just know God must be with you. So what's your secret? How do you do it? Do you, you know, do you drink some magic potion or do you have like some secret community or do you have this, some 
you know, cantation or whatever. Well, what do you do? And then Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And here he tells Nicodemus two things. Okay. The first thing is what Nicodemus, what Nicodemus needs. And the second thing is um, how he gets the thing that he needs. The first thing that is what he needs. And that is he needs to see the kingdom of God. And the second thing is that he needs to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. So firstly, he needs to see the kingdom of God. And this is the way reality works. People do not naturally see the kingdom of God. When people, it is not normal to see the kingdom of God. You know, it's a bit like the force in Star Wars. And uh, it's not exactly like the force in Star Wars. That would be a little heretical. But, it, but in Star Wars, when Obi-Wan found Luke, this is a, the 1977 Star Wars, A New Hope. When Obi-Wan found Luke, he first had to tell Luke, there is this thing out there called the force. Luke didn't know there was this thing out there called the force. And then he had to tell Luke how to use the force. Right? And it's a similar kind of thing. Most people you know, just, you know... Same thing as the Star Wars world. They don't know about the kingdom of God. They don't see the kingdom of God. Just as most people in the Star Wars world, or, or maybe it's our world, but long ago, right? But most people, they don't, they don't know that the force is out there. They just don't know. And so they have to be educated that this force is out there. And then they can be educated if they have the, you know, whatever. Anyways, um, that's how it is with the kingdom of God. Most people are unaware of its existence. So how does someone become aware of its existence? And that's the second part. To see the kingdom of God, people need to be born again. Okay? What does that mean? Some of you are probably familiar with this passage, but track with me. Okay? What does that mean to be born again? And, and Nicodemus, he didn't know either. That's why he said in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so Jesus clarifies this bit. It seems like there are two types of birth. There is the birth of the flesh, and there is the birth of the Spirit. So the first birth, you can think of that as the, the birth of the flesh. And everybody has been born of the flesh, and therefore they are flesh. And, and that is a natural birth. Meaning, if you have a belly button, then you've experienced this. Okay, you've experienced this first birth. And the second kind of birth, though, is not the birth of the flesh. It's different. You don't climb back into the physical womb. It's not like you get a second belly button. Okay, you have a spiritual birth. And when that happens, um, not only will you see the kingdom of God, but you will enter the kingdom of God. And uh, so why do you need... A second birth to enter the kingdom of, uh, uh, to enter the kingdom of God. Why can't you just enter it? Let's think about this concept for a little bit, okay? So this is the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom, and um, and what does it mean? Just think about this. What does it mean to enter a kingdom? Well, to become it means to become a part of the kingdom. It means to become a citizen of the kingdom. And uh, how do you become a citizen of anything? So let's say the U.S. How does someone become a citizen of the U.S.? Well, you can be born in the U.S. or you can be naturalized through immigration or, you know, through marriage or whatever. So, and it's the same kind of thing in the Roman Empire. Back then, if you wanted to be a citizen of the Roman Empire, either you were born that way, maybe your ancestors bought citizenship somehow, or, you know, you were born in certain cities, or, and so you had certain rights, or you were naturalized. And, um, 
And then back then, usually you're naturalized uh, by paying a lot of money or by military service or something like that. Well, in the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying there's only one way to become a citizen. You have to be born again. You have to be born into it. There's no naturalization option. You cannot buy your way into it. Okay, you cannot work your way into it. You're simply born into it. A few years ago, um, I was driving in Pennsylvania. I was going to Pittsburgh, and I hit this toll booth, and um, and I pulled up to the booth, and it was ten dollars and twenty cents. Okay, that's that's how tolls are. And all of a sudden, I realized I didn't have ten dollars twenty cents. I didn't have anything. And uh, and I was talking to the lady at the toll booth, and I and I said, I don't have cash. Can I use a credit card? She said, No, you have to use cash. And, and I was like, what, what, what can I do? And she says, well, you can pull over on the side of the road. There's this, if you walk down the, these stairs, you'll see a small town, and there's a gas station with an ATM. And so that's what I did. I pulled over, and I went to this gas station. and went to this ATM, and I realized I didn't have my debit card. I don't know what I was thinking, but I only had a credit card, and you can't get cash with a credit card. So, um, and, and so I was like, what am I supposed to do? And I was, I was going to call someone, and then I realized my phone was dead. Okay, so this is, this is probably the worst I, just, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was thinking, are you serious? And then um, and I just went to the gas station uh, attendant person, and I was like, I was explaining the situation, and I was like, is there um, anything I can do to get $11? And he said, no, uh, I'm, I, I think I'm not really sure. He, he maybe didn't understand me, but he said no. So I walked to another gas station, and I explained the whole situation. And I, is there anything I can do to get $11? I have a credit card. Can, you, can I just, you know... So can you just swipe my credit card for $11 and give me $11 in cash or something? And he said no. And, and then I went to uh, a McDonald's, same thing. They said no. And I went to a bank, and they said no. And then I was walking around, and I was, and I was pretty desperate by now. And uh, I spotted this small Chinese takeout restaurant. It's called New China House. And, um, and I didn't even realize Asian people lived out here because it was middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And, and, but but I, I felt like if anybody was going to give me money, it was going to be this place. So I walked in, and... I went through the drill, and I explained my situation, and I asked him, so I have a credit card, and could you swipe my credit card for $11 and then just give me $11 in cash? And he, he looked at me pretty suspiciously for a while. He, who is this guy? And then he said, can I see your ID? I said, okay. And I gave him my ID, and he said, your last name is Lin. Are you Chinese? And I said, yes, I'm Chinese. And he said, oh, okay. And I, and I said, yeah. And I started talking to him. My Chinese is a little broken, but I, I use my broken Chinese to try to prove that I was Chinese. And then, and then he said, okay, Chinese people help Chinese people. I'll help you out. And, and he swiped my card, and, and I, I put a $5 tip on the line. <laughs> and then um, and that was it. And I was so, and I was thank, I was so thankful, and, and, I, and I walked back to my car, and it worked out. And, um, you know, that day, I felt super desperate. I felt like I was stuck in a situation that I couldn't get out of. And I was, and this hasn't happened too often, but uh, it was one of the times in my life when I felt truly dependent, absolutely dependent on the generosity of others. And, uh, and why did this man at New China House, why did this man help me? Because I was Chinese. And it's kind of odd to think about. It. He helped me not because of anything I did. You know, I didn't, you know clean his bathroom, or I didn't cook his food, or I didn't do anything. I just showed him that I was Chinese, and he helped me out. And how, Because I was ethnically Chinese, so let me ask you, how did I become Chinese? Okay, 
how, how does anybody become ethnically Chinese? Is it, you know, do you have to learn how to read and write and speak Chinese, then you become Chinese? No. Do you, um, do you just eat a lot of Chinese food and then you become Chinese? No. You know, you're, just, you're just born that way. The only way to be ethnically Chinese is to be born that way. And that's the same way with the kingdom of God. You don't, you don't do a list of things in order to be a citizen of that kingdom. You're just born that way. Right? And, and there's nothing you can do. You're absolutely dependent on the generosity of God. And God will cause you to be born again. And so, okay, so there's two births. Okay, so let's just recap a little bit. There's two births. There's being born of the flesh and there's born of the spirit. And so let's think about that real quick. Why specifically are we born of the spirit? Because experiencing the spirit comes hand in hand with experiencing the kingdom. Experiencing the Spirit comes hand in hand with experiencing the kingdom. Why do I say that? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus uh, has this exchange with um, some Pharisees, and he's casting out demons, and the Pharisees accuse him of casting out demons by the power of demons. And, and he says, no, it's, that's not true. And he says, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the, Spirit, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see, the Spirit of God is evidence of the kingdom of God. The Spirit of God proves that the kingdom of God has arrived, that it's in our midst. So when somebody is born of the Spirit, then they show they are citizens of God's kingdom. So those two concepts are so interlinked that the kingdom of God comes hand in hand with the Spirit of God. So how does this transition happen? How does someone get this spirit of God and enter the kingdom of God. How does someone become born again? Well, John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13 says, But to all who did receive him, and this is talking about Jesus, receiving Jesus, who believed in his name and gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, those who are born, of, born again, those who experience the spirit, those who enter the kingdom those people are characterized by, number one, receiving Jesus, and number two, believing in Jesus. That's it. Receiving and believing. And, and that's all it takes. All it takes to become a child of God is to receive Jesus and to believe in Jesus. And some of you, you might have grown up in churches where uh, that message wasn't taught. Or maybe it was taught, but it wasn't emphasized. And it, 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 maybe the priorities and the pressures of that church, they taught you something else. Maybe you're not from church backgrounds, and, and you definitely don't have this view. And you're essentially, you're functionally told, in order to be a child of God, you know, you have to do a list of things. You know, you can make up the list, right? You, you have to go to church every week. You have to pray every day. You have to read your Bible every day. You have to be nice to your siblings. You have to get good grades in school. You have to care for the environment. You have to serve, whatever. Different churches have different emphases, but they essentially, they make it out to be as if, you have to do certain things so that you can be born again. And all of those things are good. But here's the issue. We confuse the cause of salvation with the effects of salvation. The cause of salvation with the effects of salvation. What I mean is, what causes salvation? God causes salvation. What are the effects of salvation? You do all those things. And so some people, they say, um, you have to do these things to become a child of God. But that's not true. You don't do these things to become a child of God. You do these things because you already are a child of God. You already are a child of God because God made you born again. And because of that, then you do these things. And this is important because many people, we don't realize that. You know, I talk to people 
all the time who don't go to church. And I ask them, hey, do you want to consider coming to church on Sunday? And they go, oh, I can't do that. You know, I, I got to clean up my life first. Or, you know, I can't do that. You don't know all the things that I've done. And what are they thinking when they're, when they're saying stuff like that? They're thinking, I have to do something in order to become a child of God. That's their mentality. But the thing is, you don't clean yourself up first because Jesus is the one who cleans you up. You go to Jesus and he cleans you up. And the church is not, the church is not like, you know, you're applying for the job or something. You know, when you apply for a job, you have to get your resume straightened out. And you say, okay, and I got to wear nice clothes. And I go and I present my case and I answer the right questions. And then I'm in. That's not what going to church is like. Going to church is like going to a rehab center. You just, you've given up. You say, I can't do this on my own. I need help. And you go somewhere for help. And that's what being born again is like. It's not, that's why Jesus says he's not here for the healthy, he's here for the sick. And that's why the church isn't supposed to be some nice country club where people talk about nice things and dress nicely and say polite things and never offend anybody. The church is about being a hospital where broken people would come together and we encourage each other. You know what? You messed up. I messed up. That's okay. We're going to keep pushing on. We're going to keep encouraging each other. We're going to keep pressing on because Jesus is there. He's going to help us out. That's what the church is for. And all you got to do is you got to receive and believe. That's it. It's just a mental decision. You make some point in your life and you go, you know what? I want to be clean. I want to get right with God. I want lasting change. Jesus, I'm going to invite you into my life. Come rule my heart. I want to follow you. And some of you, I don't want to assume some of you, you might not have made a decision like that in your life. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to think about it. Feel free to talk to me or any of the elders or whoever. Um, after the service or any time, you know, and, and, I, and I promise you, it'll be, the, it'll be the best decision you've ever made. Because when you make that decision, the Spirit will enter your life, you'll be born again, and change will happen. So what kind of change will happen? Let's read on to Galatians chapter 5. This is our second passage. So we talked about how to enter the kingdom of God, and now we'll talk about how a person is characterized when he is in, in, when he is in the kingdom of God. And, and as we read this, remember that... Having the Spirit of God is evidence of being a citizen in the kingdom of God. Just remember that, okay? This is Galatians chapter 5, starting from verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So when you are born of the Spirit, you begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's a natural process. It's just like when you plant a tree, if you plant an apple tree, then it begins to bear apples. When you enter the kingdom of God, you start to adopt kingdom values. I mean, that, what I mean is you start to love in ways that you couldn't love before. You start to have joy in moments in which before you would have those same moments, you wouldn't have joy. You would have peace in certain moments in, in which 
Those moments, if you were to have them before, you wouldn't have peace, and so on. And why do you do those things? Because you are no longer of the flesh, but of the Spirit. And the Spirit, and the spirit is bearing fruit inside of you. However, this passage as it is talking about it says, we still have these desires of the flesh inside of us. And I'll be the first to admit that. I, I have plenty of desires of the flesh inside of me. And as a result, we are unable to do the things that we want to do. We still go through the normal struggles of life, and we still have these old habits. Because we were born in the flesh, and for so long we've lived in the flesh, we've developed so many fleshly habits. And now that we've transitioned into being of the Spirit, we're developing these spiritual habits, but these two sides are still at war against each other. On one side, we're tempted to sin. On the other side, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. And sometimes we have good days, and sometimes we have bad days, and then we go back and forth. And why do we have this tension? Because we live simultaneously in the kingdom of this world and in the kingdom of God. We live simultaneously in the kingdom of this world and in the kingdom of God. There's a passage in John 17 where Jesus says to his disciples, actually he's not saying, he's praying for his disciples. This is his last prayer uh, before he is arrested and crucified. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Many people, they think, when, when they become Christians, they're born again, they're, all they think about from then onwards is, how can I avoid the world? How am I going to just hold on to Jesus until the day I die and then I meet him again? That's all they think about. But Jesus here says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. People, they have this dream. Oh, God, I just wish you could teleport me right out of my current situation so that I can be with you forever. And that's, that's a good desire. But God, but Jesus is saying, I do not ask them, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So, so here's how it works. When we are born again, there is a kingdom transfer. I mean that we go from, we used to be a part of the kingdom of the world, and we are transferred to being a part of the kingdom of God. There's a kingdom transfer. And so no longer are we identified with the kingdom of the world. That's why Jesus says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. But Jesus also says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus prays we will not be taken out of the world, and he prays that we will be sent into the world. So what does it mean that we are not of the world, but we are sent into the world? It means we are not citizens of the kingdom of the world, we are citizens of God, but we dwell in the world. We dwell in the kingdom of the world. It means that when you're born again, you're not automatically teleported to heaven. Being being born again means that you're bringing, figuratively, you're bringing heaven down to earth. You see, when, when God sent Jesus to earth, he gave earth a taste of heaven. He gave earth a taste of this is what God is like. This is what God's kingdom is like. Earth, experience it. And then when Jesus says, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you, it's the same exact thing. He's saying, you are now my, rep- my representatives. You are kingdom. You are God's kingdom here on earth. So here, go to earth. Go to the communities where people don't know me and give them a taste of what heaven is like. It means we continue to live in this messed up world with this messed up problems. And while we do that, we manifest the kingdom of God in the midst of this messed up kingdom of the world. So how do you manifest the kingdom? 
We said earlier that the Spirit is evidence for the kingdom. The way the kingdom is, is manifested in your life is through the bearing of fruit. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit is the way the kingdom is manifested in your life. When you allow the Spirit to manifest Himself in your life, by bearing fruit inside of you, you are manifesting the kingdom of God. The people of the kingdom manifest the kingdom of God in this world through bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And when the world sees somebody like that, when the world sees somebody living in the world, suffering from the tragedies of the world, but manifesting the values of an alternative kingdom, they pay attention. They ask, what is it about this person? Why is that person different? That's why Nicodemus came to Jesus. He noticed Jesus had something going on that most people didn't have going on. And he said, I got to check this guy out. And so I want to ask, are you manifesting the kingdom of God in your own life? When people interact with you, do they see the fruit of the spirit or do they see the works of the flesh? Do they notice that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God? Or do they say, oh, this is just another Joe Schmo and He's just the same as everybody else, and he says some fancy things that I don't understand, but he's exactly the same as I am. When Dylan Roof shot and killed nine people in Charleston earlier this week, and a few days later, the family members of those people, they came to Dylan, and they said to his face, I forgive you. They were manifesting the kingdom of God in this world. They had the Spirit inside of them, and they were bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That is radical fruit bearing. And when they did that, people saw that, and they go, what in the world is going on? Why would someone do something like that? And the reason why is because they have an alternative value system. They have a value system that comes from the kingdom of God. And that's our calling. That's our calling, to be citizens of God's kingdom and to bear God's fruit in in God's agenda and to bear the brunt of a broken world as we live in it and bear the fruit of the Spirit nonetheless. And perhaps um, some of you, you're sitting here and you're thinking, this sounds really nice, you know, but, you know, I've memorized the fruit of the Spirit when I was a kid in church and my issue isn't that I don't know it, it's that I find it kind of unrealistic, at least in my life. The truth is, you know, some of you might be saying this. The truth is if somebody killed my family member, I don't know if I would be able to forgive them. And that's a legitimate concern. Maybe if that's you, I think that's good to be honest about that. And, um, and sometimes I'm in that boat too. Sometimes I go through moments when I, I have this decision in my mind. Do I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit right now in this moment, or do I want to pursue the works of the flesh? And I choose the flesh. That happens. And that's you, and, and, and I feel, you know, I feel, I know everything. I know I'm saved. I know I'm born again, but I don't feel like bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul writes, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So what's the key to change? If you're in this situation, if you're in this book, what's the key to change? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. What do I mean? How do we change How do we crucify the flesh? By remembering Jesus. This whole living in the Spirit, manifesting the kingdom idea, how do we do that? We recognize that Jesus did it first. He paved the way for us. How did he pave the way for us? Firstly, he was born. Earlier we talked about being born in the flesh. 
How is it that we were, how, we were born in the flesh? How did we get this opportunity to be born in the spirit? Because Jesus was born in the flesh. Do you see that? Jesus was spirit and he chose when he came to the earth, I'm going to be born again with flesh. He traded, he traded places with us. You see that? Jesus, the king of the universe, he chose to be born again as a baby in a poor family in a small town in the middle of nowhere. Jesus chose to be born in the flesh so that we could be born in the spirit. Secondly, so firstly, Jesus was born. Secondly, Jesus lived a perfect life. Even as Jesus lived in the flesh, he lived in the spirit. The tension we're talking about, about being in the world but not out of the world. Jesus did that perfectly. He lived in the world. He immersed himself among sinners in the world. But he was led by the Spirit the whole time, and he never sinned. He demonstrated what it was like to bear the fruit of the Spirit to manifest the kingdom of God here on earth. He loved. He had joy. He had peace. He demonstrated patience. He did all the fruit of the Spirit. And he showed us what it was like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, manifesting God here on earth. And thirdly, Jesus died. Earlier I mentioned that we were born, that in order to be born, we need, uh, we need to have citizenship. Sorry, that's not what I said. I mentioned that we were born into a new citizenship. In other words, we could not earn it. Remember we said in the Roman Empire, you, you could either uh, be born into it or you're naturalized, you buy it or work for it or whatever. We, we could not earn it, we could not buy it. But does that mean it was free? No. Jesus bought our citizenship. Jesus earned our citizenship. And he didn't buy it with money. He didn't buy it with military service. He bought it by dying on the cross. He paid for our citizenship with his life. Jesus gave his life as payment for our citizenship. It was through Jesus that we're born again. It's also through Jesus, therefore, that we keep living in the Spirit. And so when Paul talks about crucifying the desires of the flesh, we remember Jesus was crucified, and now, and because of that, we're born again. And also, Jesus is crucified, and that's how we put, the, put to death the desires of the flesh. In other words, we have this new citizenship, and we have this new calling to metaphorically crucify our flesh. How do we do that? We remember the Romans physically crucified Jesus' flesh. Because Jesus was literally killed in the flesh, and because Jesus now dwells in us, we can now be empowered to kill the desires of our flesh. You see that parallel? It's because of Jesus that we're saved, we're born again, and it's because of Jesus that we keep pressing on, we keep living in the Spirit. Jesus is our great King. And if you have been born again, you've been enlisted into this kingdom. And though we live in this limbo state right now where we're kind of, where we're in this world, but we're not of this world, one day we, it won't be like that anymore. And we can look forward to the, to the day when it won't be like that anymore. One day, Jesus will finally bring to completion what he started. The kingdom that he inaugurated will come to completion. And one day, the sins of our flesh will be no more. There won't be this battle between you know, the, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. It will just be the spirit. One day the kingdom will be fully manifested everywhere. It won't be we're stuck in this kingdom, but we're trying to live for the other kingdom. It will only be that kingdom. We will simply be with God. And, and John had a vision of that day. It's in Revelation 21. And John says in this passage, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. One day the dwelling place of God will be with man, and He will dwell with us, and we will be His people forevermore. The King of His of the kingdom, the King of the kingdom will rule, and we will be the people of His kingdom. So let's look forward to that day. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have inaugurated.